0: everybody welcome back to another episode of ask katie anything i'm your host licensed marriage and family therapist katie morton i know a ton of you have questions that haven't been answered and if you're looking for another opportunity i do answer questions over on my patreon page at the 20 dollars tier you ask a question it gets answered in the monthly live stream you can just go to patreon.com forward slash katie morton the link is in the description you should check it out there are tiers for all budgets Without further ado, let's get into our first question today. This question says, Hey Katie, I recently read a book called The Choice by Dr. Edith Eva Eager. In it, she discussed how she often thought she was done processing her trauma only to realize that she was wrong later. My question is, how would you know you were no longer being affected by your trauma or had finished processing it? What would be clues that there's still work to be done and why is that sometimes hard to see? This is a great question. And also, I know Dr. Eager um, and her, it'd be her grandson. We were supposed to do a collab, uh, but it didn't turn out because I wasn't in LA anymore. I'd moved. Um, but anyway, wonderful woman. Now, the truth about trauma is that we can think we're done because the symptoms we had currently or the triggers that we were aware of weren't affecting us. However, we can run into other situations or start to see patterns of behavior that we don't like or that are triggering. Does that make sense? And so it's like we can think that we're done with it because we haven't had any symptoms, but it's because we haven't been exposed to something that was upsetting. And so I would assume that's kind of what she meant, that she had worked through, because I believe she survived the Holocaust, if I am wrong, I might, you know, but I think that was her story and now she's a psychologist helping other people and she specializes in trauma I believe but I think that that's what she's talking about is that you go through your life and you feel like everything is okay until you stumble upon another trauma or I mean sorry another trigger that causes some of those trauma symptoms to reveal themselves again. Also it could be that she recognized behavior in her life like these patterns that maybe weren't distressing up front but over time did cause distress meaning for example let's say in my relationships when people when i felt like people were getting too close i like cut and run i'm like i you're i'm too vulnerable this is uncomfortable i can't deal right that could have been my stance without realizing it and i would think like oh they were just so pushy or oh that guy just didn't work out or oh that friendship you know whatever type of relationship but then when i start working on myself cuz this has even happened to me in my own life where <clears throat> once i start working on myself in therapy then I start to see things differently where I'm like oh my god I was doing that that's not helpful or I'll see that oh oh my god that's attached to that Ugh, I don't like that I'm doing it right and so I think what she's saying is as she worked it through she started to feel better and then it's almost like because of that another level of symptoms or triggers or traumas reveal themselves because it's too much for our brain to keep everything in it at the forefront, right? Especially with trauma, we'd stuff it back. And so it's almost like as we like dig into that closet or that, uh, I don't know, like a trunk filled with our traumas, as we dig into it, we, we're able to see more below, it like reveals more. And so that could have been <clears throat> been it too. And I think the the answer, like why is it sometimes hard to see? is just because we have the big things, the, the things that are the most effective, like Harmful to us, let's say, or most distressing to us, those are going to be front of mind. Those are going to be the reasons we go to therapy, the things that we know are happening. And the ones that are maybe a little more nuanced, or like I said, are more like patterns of behavior, those might take us more time to see. And they're not going to be as distressing, so we won't feel like they have to be worked on immediately. Does that make sense? I hope so. Okay, with that, let's move into question number two. It says, Hey Katie, do you have any coping tips when it comes to struggling with nightmares? Good question. A few months ago my therapist retired. Oh, I'm so sorry. My I had that happen, and I'm in the process of finding someone new. I was doing great and only saw her every fortnight. For us in America, that's every 2 weeks. Recently, I've been having consecutive nightmares every night, and it's really affected my sleeping pattern and anxiety. I used to get them before I started to work through a sexual assault, but this time they're even more intense and not all completely related to that experience. I keep a dream diary for whenever I do find the right therapist, but in the meantime, how do I cope? Talking with loved ones can help. There's a clue. But it doesn't seem to stop the nightmares, and it kind of leaves me feeling embarrassed and awkward. Thanks. Okay. Unfortunately, when it comes to nightmares, we're going to have to try some things because it happens when we're not conscious, right? We're not awake. We can feel like we don't have any control over them, and we're like, why do they keep happening? Now, the truth about nightmares is they can be flashbacks. I know. Um, They can be trauma responses. We can have nightmares as a result, which is kind of, it sounds like that's kind of what happens with you. And even though I know your therapist retiring doesn't feel like a trauma, and I'm not trying to tell you it is, but I think it's a stressful event that probably triggered these and we don't have that support anymore. So that's kind of why they've come back. That would be my hypothesis that that was a triggering situation and it's caused them to come back and that might be why they don't even you know they're not even related to the experience sometimes I think that's that's possible now how do we cope the fact that talking it through with other people kind of seems to help I really want to encourage you to since that also leaves you feeling awkward I want you to journal about them not just keeping like you said you're keeping a dream diary I want you to tell me what's coming up for you. It doesn't need to be focused on the nightmare. Instead, like, how are you feeling? What's going on? What would you want to tell your therapist who's retired? I know it can feel like that's like so much to journal about, but you can type it if that's faster. Just get it out because what we're missing, I think, is that... that. Expression of everything going on, the kind of cathartic experience of sharing what you're going through with someone, and having them hear you, we're missing that. And so we're going to do our best to recreate it. And so, journaling about what you're thinking, feeling, imagine you were in session with her again. You can even maybe imagine what she would say back since you probably saw her for a while. You've got a good idea of how she'd respond. Let's do some of that and continue looking for a therapist who's a good fit. I cannot encourage you to get into there faster especially since we find these symptoms coming back up. It's like you were making progress and then the loss of your therapist kind of pushed you into those nightmares again. And I want you to feel like you have some support. Now, along with the journaling and kind of expressing what's going on, hopefully that will make these go away or at least lessen them. But we can also just increase our coping skills or our resources. Meaning before we go to bed, we could have a really good routine where we jot down things we're grateful for. Maybe we don't watch um, any t- TV that could possibly be triggering. We watch like lighthearted things. Maybe it's like a reality TV show or maybe it's, I don't know, a favorite film. We need to have some kind of routine around going to bed so that it's easier for our body to, and it needs to be a little bit happier and lighter, things like that. That could help. Um, we could make sure that we're doing our body shakes or we're talking to people and feeling like we're connected. Um, it could mean that we're doing, I don't know, it depends on what you're struggling with, but I can think of all sorts of things from impulse logs to going for a walk, to petting a dog, to cleaning our house, to whatever helps you feel soothed and okay. We want to do more of that. Make sure that we're eating regularly, drinking enough water, all that good stuff. Um, but because you have anxiety, I think those body shakes might really help or even just stomping your feet. Um, so doing those things more will help as well. And as, like I said, as we process through this and we find another therapist we can like talk it all out with, it will get better. I'm sorry you're going through this. I know nightmares suck and I know unfortunately a lot of us have them, but we, we do have some control over them. We'll do what we can, right? Focus on the things we can control instead of the things that we can't. Okay, let's move on to question number three. This question said, Katie, is it critical to share that you are self-harming with your therapist? Good question. If so, why? It is only very minor injuries, but I've watched your other videos and you said that you always, oh, said to always share this information. I did. Thank you for everything and for all the amazing information that you share. Love everything you do, Katie. Oh, of course, of course. Happy to do it. And there are, um, I think, three or so follow-ups on this. Now, I believe it is critical to share that you're self-harming with your therapist. Not, I mean, not primarily because of the injury itself. Now hear me out. Yes, cellulitis infection in general is very common. And if you have any symptoms or signs of infection, like if it's red around the wound or if there's any kind of, you know, discharge from it, anything that looks like infection, please go to the doctor. Please get it checked out and treated and things like that. Okay. Because that can be really dangerous, but that's not why I even want my patients to share. I want them to share because I want to know what's going on because that's an indicator Just like I ask about any other symptom, right? How bad, how often are your panic attacks coming? How are you sleeping? How often is dissociation a a factor or affecting you? You know, I want to know all this stuff. How's your eating? Are you having any depressive symptoms? Self-harming goes right in there because it's a coping skill for something else going on. And the fact that you're still using it and still doing it tells me that what we're doing isn't enough. It's not helpful, right? It might be a little better, but it's not a hundred percent better. And so that's why it's important because otherwise I could think that things are going along great. You have enough coping skills, you're feeling good. And meanwhile, you're struggling with urges to self-harm like every single day. And I should know about that, you know, um, hopefully as we talk about this more and as people are honest about their self-injury, hopefully the stigmas around it, like dissipate and go away. I know some people think that they're suicidal attempts or something like that or we you know and I know it's I know better it's not always that so hopefully they know that but let them know what's going on let them know if you know why it happens or what triggers cause you to do it because that's all helpful information and then we can work from there to ensure that you do have other ways to deal okay now there was a comment on this that said follow on to this what if your therapist used to ask you about self-harm the frequency severity and the reason and now doesn't even ask Hmm. Context. I've been, um, have been self-harming any time from once a day for the few years I've been seeing her. Hmm. My only thought is that maybe they think that's not an issue anymore. Maybe they don't think you do it. That's very strange to me. I always ask. And even on my patients who haven't had like suicidal thoughts or no history of self-injury, I always ask about it periodically. You know, if you had any suicidal thoughts recently, and they'll always say, no, I told you, no. <clears throat> and I'll say, have you ever injured yourself on purpose, you know, or allowed something to get infected on purpose? You know, there's all sorts of ways we can harm ourselves. It's not just, you know, cutting or things that people always assume. It can look a lot of different ways. Um, So maybe they don't think it's a problem, or it's possible that they thought that they gave you things to cope with it, and they're just kind of hoping you did, and maybe they're a little negligent. I don't know. Those are the only reasons that I could imagine. They forgot or they think it's good. And I would bring it up. If you feel like you can, please let them know this is still going on. Um, Because I don't know why they wouldn't continue to ask. The next add-on says, to add, I'm afraid to just bring it up as my therapist already, as she almost sent me to IOP for my depression, which is better now with the meds. But unfortunately, IOP is not an option with my work and my personal life. And I feel connected to my therapist. Also, on top of that, I'm cutting both on my legs and on the backs of my hands, and I wish I only wanted to cut someplace hidden, but I just can't stop. So far, only a few comments about my hands, as the cuts are very minor, and I make excuses, but as the time goes on, I'm not sure if the excuses will keep working. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and, 6-1 since that matters, and, What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You have to let her know. I know we're worried about IOP, but clearly things are unmanageable. I know it's hard for us to admit. We're like, I can't do this with school, work, social life, and things that I've committed to. No one ever wants to go into IOP. And I'm not even saying that you necessarily need it. But what you need is someone to know what's going on. Because if it's happening all the time, and you're not able to stop, we don't have coping skills for it. We don't know how to deal And I cannot tell you how important it's going to be for you to figure that out. And I know a lot of people will say, well, Katie, if my self-injury is only hurting me, why do I need to stop? And to that, I always reply, is this something you want to do for the rest of your life? Do you want to be a a parent or a grandparent and still be doing this? Is this something you want, you know, your grandchildren asking you about or your, your friends at Bridge Club asking you about? Is that, is that what, Does that sound good to you? That that will be what you'll be doing forever? The answer is almost always no. We don't want that life for ourselves. It's not ideal. Do I know that it has benefits and we can feel better and that's why we do it? Yes. Do I know that it isn't helpful and it doesn't make anything go away or make anything actually better in the long run? And even the quote unquote feel good moments are extremely short lived. Yes. So please bring it up. I know you're afraid. Let them know that i'm afraid you're gonna try to push me into iop i can't do that right now can you work with me on this now now i know there are i'd have to look at what groups are offering right now but hope for recovery hope number four recovery offers free groups online and some of them are self-injury based um and a lot of trauma based eating disorder based there, they have a great selection. So I might encourage you to check into that as well. And then, if you know, bring it up with your therapist, you can say, I also found these groups that I might start joining, you know, um, let them know that could be more support because as a therapist, when I want to refer someone to IOP, it's because I think they need more care than I can offer. And if they have ancillary things going on, like ancillary support, like a group, then I might, Allow them to keep trying that for a bit and see if it gets better. Because again, we don't want this to keep happening. And that's why we have to bring it up. So, you know, I know she might want to encourage you to go to IOP. At the end of the day, you get to decide on your own treatment. But please, please tell her because we don't want this to keep going. Okay. Now, there was another ad on it said, let's say you've been around and around about this in therapy. You know why, you know, coping skills to not do it and can go long periods of time between bouts of self-harm. You know what the therapist will say and how to backtrack and find the trigger, walk through what may have helped in the moment, et cetera, or instead, et cetera, but self-harm still happens one to three times a year. Is it a big deal? Do I need to talk about it in therapy, especially if there are bigger fish to fry in my mental health? Um, I would still bring it up because even though we're going to backtrack and find the trigger, I'm curious this one to three times a year. What is it that pushes you past your ability to cope? There's got to be a difference. You could even do this work on your own and kind of dig into it. But I still believe your therapist should know so they can track it. Because if this increases, if this decreases, we want to know, we want to be able to gauge what we think is helping and talk with you about it. Now, yes, you can keep track of all of this on your own, but I think the benefit of having a therapist to keep track of it too is that they can check in on it when we maybe don't want to talk about it. Because for almost all of my patients who self-harm, they can go years without doing it. And if I don't ask, they won't tell me that they had a slip up because they think they're gonna let me down. They think it's not that big of a deal. And I want them to know that I want to work with them until it doesn't happen anymore. And we need to figure out what caused those ones. So yes, I know that you know all the things and I could, you could even tell your therapist that I want to let you know it happens about this amount of time. It happened last week, probably won't happen again for a while. And I know what you're going to say, but I just wanted you to know that it sometimes still happens so that we know what's going on. Right. And then we can help. And then we can figure it out a little bit better because clearly we have enough to get you through most of the time, but there are these outliers. And as a therapist, I'm always very curious about that. Like what makes that so different? What makes that situation so hard or so triggering? And it could tell us maybe where we need to go in therapy. And it might be part of that bigger fish to fry that you're talking about. Like I have bigger issues. It might be part of that, but I want to know. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Okay. Moving on to question number four. It says, hey, Katie, how can I get from partly better to actually thriving? Great question. I was drowning in symptoms of treatment-resistant depression for so many years until last autumn when I started ketamine treatment. I feel like I'm coming back to life and actually able to start doing the work in therapy. I function so much better, but I still have this deep sense of sadness, and it feels like most of the time I'm still white-knuckling through the days, counting down the days to my next therapy appointment, etc. cetera. Do you have any advice on how to keep going and progressing? I'm also constantly terrified of falling back into that dark hole of depression. Okay, this is a great question. And the tricky part is once we kind of start to feel better, like oh I finally got out of there, right? But it's not 100% better. But we feel like we're like you said, like you're coming back to life it can be hard for us to stay motivated and to go from, you know, just being partly better to actually thriving. And so my encouragement really for you is that now that we have this support and we can do the work in therapy, what are the things that are bothering you? Let's focus in on that. And I would encourage you to to journal if you can every day, just just a page or two of just who cares, write it down, get it out. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care if you spell things incorrectly. I don't care if you type it, write it, whatever. But let's start paying attention to what's going on inside so we can figure out what our next steps are. Now, for you, to be truthful, I feel like we kind of we finally got our head above water, and so my like if I was your therapist, my next steps for you would be to um look back at our depressive episodes and help identify some of the red flags that it's coming right before it's too deep or too heavy. I want to get into that. I also want to get you connected to people and I want you to have other coping skills and other ways, you know, things that you can do in your life to help you feel better, remind you of the good in people, remind you of the good in life. And, you know, I... I'm gonna keep an eye. I probably every couple of weeks have you do a little depression scale to make sure it's not coming back. Because even when treatment works, sometimes it it works really, really well, and then it kind of comes down, and we might need to, you know, your doctor might need to increase your dosage or whatever. I'm not a doctor, but I do keep track of that with my patients, so I can tell their doctor what I'm seeing. Um, but I'd make a list of your goals. That's how we keep progressing. Even personally, when I go into therapy. It's not just the issue at hand. It's like the bigger things that are bothering me, the things that continue to come up. Like, um, it could be grief related. It could be for you, it's definitely depression related, but there's a lot more to it. I know people are like, oh, it's depression, but there can be it can be very nuanced. It can be triggered by specific things in your life. And I want you to take some time and kind of dig into the symptoms and the experiences, and the things that are bothering you, and what are the goals? And you, if it's helpful, you can use from solution-focused therapy, it's called the miracle question. You can consider, if I woke up tomorrow, and I didn't have depression anymore, how would I know? And walk me through your day, how would you know? What would be different? Would you feel lighter? Would you be more excited? Would you reach out to people more easily? What would it be? Tell me. And then those things can be your goals. I want to wake up feeling excited. I want to connect with my friends more often. I want to build friendships. You know, um, write those things down and then give them to your therapist and tell them, these are the things that I want to work on. And they'll help you. They'll track backwards, right? So this is the goal. These are the steps that I could see leading to that goal. Okay, let's start here. And that's just therapy. That's part of it. That's how we thrive. We figure out the things that are bothering us, the things we want to change. We might not even know specifically what those things are. It could be something as like general as I want to have healthier relationships, or it could be, you know, I want to feel like I'm better at my job. Whatever. We don't have to have like a, I don't like that I, I don't know, have attachment issues. We don't have to know that. That's up to our therapist to figure it out. That's on me, right? That's part of my job is to take what your goals are. Like for instance, I had this patient who would come in every so often and she was like, I just don't want to feel so anxious when there's like presentations or tests or things like that. So that's what she came in with. And then I realized that you know, anxiety was filling her whole life and social situations were really triggering. You know, so it's up to us to ask questions to figure out how it's affecting you fully and completely and then work with you to get you there. Okay. I hope that makes sense. Now there was an add-on to this and it says, I feel a similar way about my eating disorder. I'm at a place where I'm physically stable, weight restored and eating enough. I can't tell you how many of my patients can be at that phase, but the mental part of it is not there, but I don't know where to go from here. I still have thoughts and food still consumes a lot of my time and energy, mostly because I'm told, um, mostly because I still am told and required to maintain a very rigid routine around food by my family and my team. Is there a way to ever feel like you're completely back to normal? Yes. When it comes to this, we need to work on the, the emotional or psychological component of our eating disorder. I'm curious if you figured out what purpose it serves for you. Does it give you control because you've never, maybe you have helicopter parents. Maybe you've never felt like you've had control in your life. Maybe you have an addict in your family. Things were chaotic. <clears throat> what purpose did your eating disorder serve? I want to dig into that because that's actually where the healing begins. You've done the physical component and that's hard enough, but that's only 50% of the, you know, the process, the, Thoughts of food, the focus on food, the energy, and all that. That's really key because that's, again, that, that's what will keep our eating disorder at bay. It'll keep it away. It will ensure that we're able to go back to normal. Yes, you can. It is, you will feel that way. Although I will tell you, just to be completely honest, for any mental illness, any mental health issue, we can go into recovery from it. But when things get super stressful, or we don't use our coping skills, or we're just down and out, we're having a really hard time, those thoughts will come back. Hey, what about me? Remember, I used to be so helpful. We could do so much together, right? We can get those thoughts back. Or like, oh, those depressive symptoms will return a little bit. But we're better, we're wiser. We have all these skills that helped us get out of it, so we use them again. It's like I did this video years ago with my friend uh, Lindsay Sterling, and she struggled with an eating disorder I want to say in her teens in her early 20s and she said that sometimes it will try to come back in when things get really stressful and she'll be like it's wearing a different dress and it has a wig on but I still know what it is she's like it tries to take the shape of all sorts of things and that's normal we all have weaknesses like I'm more of an anxious person and it will get bad if I'm not taking care of myself and if I'm not in therapy right and the same goes for this is it can come back a little bit but we know what it is and we know how to cope with it so we take a beat we use our skills and we'll be okay but keep pushing through and keep digging to figure out the the purpose that it serves and why it was there in the first place and let's work on that psychological component what is it helping you numb out from right okay let's move on to question number five this question says hello katie hello says, is it okay to tell my therapist I want her to be more compassionate and empathetic? I fear I will be asking her to change or be adding unnecessary pressure on her. For context, I am doing DBT. I've been seeing her for two months, not my first time in therapy, but first time doing DBT. I have problems expressing myself and understanding my emotions. And when I try to, she shifts the focus to how I'm phrasing the sentence. She says, I'm not expressing emotions as much as I do judgments. So oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I find this very disruptive and dismissive and I fear that if I tell her she'll say I just want her to soothe my anxiety which is not helpful. She mentioned something similar before. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Love from a long-time viewer. Okay. I can see both sides here. Now I hear what your therapist is saying and that you think that you're expressing emotions and she's wanting to highlight the fact that these aren't really expressing these aren't emotions you're expressing these are judgments that's very common especially and I'm glad you're doing dbt and that's probably kind of why she's more like this being you know a dbt therapist myself we can be kind of not harsh that's not the right word but firm I think a huge part of dbt is like boundaries and directives and it's like I don't know you're running through you know all this homework assignments running through the pillars it's like very structured And CBT is very similar too. And so I think that that might be what's happening is we need someone a little bit softer. We're needing something a little more understanding or yeah, compassionate, right? Like you said, more compassionate, more empathetic. And so my, uh, my advice to you would be to say something to her because regardless of what she thinks is happening, this isn't working for you. And so she needs to know that. And so we're going to have to figure out a way, and this will be great practice for you because you struggle to express yourself. So let's start journaling about this a little bit. And I think you could say something to the effect of, I know that I have problem expressing myself and my emotions. And you said in the past that I don't express my emotions as much as I think, and I express judgments instead. Okay. And I don't disagree with you. Okay. So we're, we're acknowledging that she's correct. Okay. However, I find when, you know, when you stop me when I'm saying something or try to critique the way that I phrased how I'm feeling, I, I feel kind of dismissed and it's disruptive to my thought process. And I find it really hard. That's what I would say. And then you could say, you know, if you could be just a little bit more empathetic to my situation or show a little more compassion in those moments, it would be incredibly helpful for me. So we're not judging. We're not pointing the finger. You do this. It makes me feel that way. We're owning it. When this happens, I feel this. I wish you wouldn't. I get where you're coming from, right? We need to acknowledge that we understand what she's saying because it is key what she's saying. It is going to be important for you to recognize. I, I assume when you think you're like, this is how I feel. I'm expressing expressing my emotions clearly and concisely I'm getting there she's like no these aren't emotions these are judgments about you and your situation right and it is important for you to see that so that's why we need to tell her I see that and I'm happy to work on that however sometimes I just need to get it out and I feel like it's like disruptive to my process see what she has to say you know I feel like any therapist would welcome the feedback now she may have some things that she wants to bring up and say like, well, the only reason I do this is because of X, Y, or Z. Okay. Hear her out. Do you, do you agree or disagree with that? It's okay to say so. And that's why I want you to kind of write this out and kind of practice and kind of imagine yourself saying it because it's going to be hard. It's not your strong suit. You're not very good at speaking up for yourself and expressing yourself. And so we're going to want to write out the key points. We're going to want to write out, like I said, acknowledgement of what she has told us in the past. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Acknowledgement that you recognize that you struggle with that. Then we need to get into how it feels for you and what you need from her and I think she'll work with you and it's okay to even say I had a really really hard time putting this together and even saying this to you because it is hard for me to express myself you'll get there okay you got this we're just gonna have to say something let's move on to question number six and it says hello all hello it says are there any helpful tools to push through mental blocks great question I've had an abusive relationship which turned into daily harassment for years. After I broke up, I went to the authorities before and am now at the step to formally press charges. But I just can't bring myself to do it. There's a local program that offers mental health support in these situations, but I can't seem to bring myself to contact them either. Even though I know that I would totally benefit from it. How can I push through these mental blocks? Thanks for all that you do. An interesting thing about mental blocks in general and just getting stuck in life is that it usually has to do with our either one of two things the fact that we don't want to admit to ourselves something or the fact that we don't aren't even aware at all of what's going on does that make sense it's like we can have an awareness of what's happening and kind of what's getting in the way and but we don't want to admit it to ourselves and so that can Keep us frozen, or we don't even have any idea about what this causes or what's getting in the way. We just like, well, we freeze all the same. But either way, I think a great tool to get us unstuck or to break through a mental block is to just start writing about it. Now, we can do, I know people are like, Katie, this fucking journaling, I hate it. Just hang here with me. Now, you can write it by hand, you can type it up, but I want you to just let it out (sighs) what is it you're thinking what is it you're feeling what is it you're worried about what are the the even if they're irrational or you don't even think that they're good thoughts what's coming up for you in abusive relationships it can be really complicated people have i know there's so much stigma and judgment around it and people can be like just leave already and you've already done honestly you've done the hard part like breaking up and leaving right that is so hard i think people don't understand the the cycle of abuse and like the love bombing and they'll never do it again. And like the kind of uh, Stockholm syndrome type of feeling that we can get in situations like that. I don't think people know what that really feels like. So I just want to tell you, I know you've already done like so much hard work, but I have a feeling that there's there's something in here. There's something about this that is is holding you back. There might be And that's why I said, when you're journaling, don't judge what you're writing. Don't, if it's a a thought that you're like, I can't believe I even think that, and you try to stuff it back. Those are the things I want you to get out. I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you still love this person? Do you, is it hard for you to imagine that their life could be, you know, ruined because of this, even though they ruined yours, right? I don't care if it, it doesn't make sense, or if you think it's crazy that you think that way, we need to get it out because it's something like that that's holding us back. There's something in our, maybe our deep belief system because of this relationship where we're like, you know, I don't deserve to feel better. Take the time to unpack it. Take the time to, to journal it out. Don't let anybody read your journal. You don't need to. And so this is for you. This is for your process. This is for you to figure out what is going on. Why am I so stuck? Right? That's a great way in, is that journaling. And I would encourage you to do it, you know, every day if you can, or at least like three to four times a week, a page or two. And you might have to push yourself. You might start and be like, I don't know what to write. Write that. I don't even know what to write. I don't even know how I feel. This is so fucking complicated. Why is this so complicated? It's okay to just do stream of consciousness. That's why like typing might be, it's faster for me. Writing's like hurts, kills my hand. Um, but maybe we'll give that a try, you know, so try that way. Now, another way so that's like mentally kind of getting us through. Physical stuff can help as well. It might be helpful to put in some music that you find really soothing and go for a walk and take that time to think about it. Allow yourself to get into this what's happening, how I'm feeling about it. We don't have to write anything down, but we said to let the thoughts come. We need to take the time to allow for them and the movement of our bodies can sometimes help us release some things. We might want to do a full body shake and stomp our feet when we get back from the walk or before we go. Um, We can do all those things. Jumping jacks can help too. All sorts of different things to kind of get you physically and mentally unstuck. Okay? I hope that that helps. Let's move on to question number seven. This question says, hey Katie, could you talk a little bit about insurance and therapy? Of course. I am planning to start therapy soon and have gone through my insurance. Otherwise, I cannot afford it. I totally get that. However, I am worried about having the diagnosis on my permanent medical record and the future ramifications of that. I know I need the help, but I don't like the idea of having it follow me around and potentially affect my career since I work in healthcare. That's fair. Okay, couple things. Now, when it comes to it going on your insurance records, your medical records, the only reason... First of all, HIPAA, I don't know if you're, I'd assume you're in the States because we have to have insurance and, but I know in Canada, sometimes people have private insurance too. Either way, this record is protected by, you know, HIPAA and essentially confidentiality. It can't be released without your okay. Now I do know that when it comes to our armed forces, we have to release our medical records. And so it could be in there. I don't know if healthcare is the same. I've worked in many hospitals and I've never had to do that. So I don't think it would affect you. But here's here's what I know. Number one, it probably won't be released and there's confidentiality. And you have to sign a waiver to allow things to be released in general. So it will never like come out without you knowing that you've given permission. Okay. So pay attention to what jobs, potential jobs ask you to sign. And, you know, ask them what's the same kind of thing. Okay. So there's that. Now, um, the other component is the fact that your therapist, whoever you see, doesn't have to give you a diagnosis unless your insurance requires it. And so I'd ask questions about that. Like you could call your insurance and just say, hey, you know, I'm looking into therapy treatment, but I didn't know if they have to, you know, if I have to have a certain diagnosis for it to be approved. You just ask straight up. They know. And they can give you terms like a parity diagnose. Ask them what the fuck that means. Make them explain themselves. Healthcare and insurance will always use these terms. And you're like, I don't even know what that means. How? I don't, Ask them, make, make sure you understand because they don't always have to put it down. Like for mine, for instance, I don't have to have any kind of diagnosis, although my copay is $70, but they don't have to give me a diagnosis. And I don't know of any therapist who would feel that they need to put that in your paperwork we still know what our goals are and what we're working toward we don't need to write that down in that way so ask that okay once we know that the final step is asking your therapist hey i'm worried about this i don't want this to follow me can you let me know before you give me a diagnosis you can ask that too i know there's all this like weird people get weird and insurance can be really they want all the information that you can possibly give like back in the day i I, um accessed therapy using my EAP. My employee assistance program. So it was like free therapy. I think I got like 12 sessions. It was awesome. And it was funny cuz my therapist pulled out the little like this paperwork and she goes, "I've never had a company ask so many questions about your mental healthcare stuff." She's like, "This isn't their business." She's like, "I'm going to go through it with you and you let me know if you're okay with the way I'm answering this because it's your information." I know people could be like, well, that doesn't seem right because they should know. No, fuck that. They want to take all the information and it's ours to keep. And it's your confidentiality. We should feel free to be able to go into therapy and get help without worry that someone's going to be able to access it and know that we struggled with suicidal thoughts, you know, for four years or whatever. That's not anybody's business. Can I do my job? Am I showing up? Then shut the fuck up, right? So ask your questions, get your information. But that's what I know about it. I've had patients who pay cash because they don't want it to ever be anywhere and I'm like you I couldn't afford it if that was the case so we need to make sure that we don't have to have a certain diagnosis to get it covered and that our therapists will work with us you know and we need to fully understand our rights because you have rights it's your it's your information people can't just access it okay I do know I said armed forces I also know like the CIA and the FBI require that as well as psychological evaluation so if you're hoping to go into those it's very tricky and I would encourage you you know to ask questions about it and find out information online and do as much research as you can before because I don't want anybody to get into a situation where you getting help ends up hurting you in the future that's terrible also Um, online options are available better help I have links in the description you get a discount there's also talk space um, and things like that if that makes it more feasible okay let's move on to question number eight it says where do I start if I'm so disconnected from myself that I don't even notice when I'm triggered someone said hello I thought I'd try new format because my question tends to get lost when I ramble for context it worked. You're, you're here. I've suffered childhood sexual abuse as well as emotional neglect and some regular childhood abuse for flavor. <laughs> for flavor. You guys kill me. I have found when a topic that is really triggering for me comes up, for instance, in this podcast, I don't notice that I'm overwhelmed. I just find that I'm not and have been listen have been listening and instead often in la-la land with no recollection of when my thoughts veered off course. Got you. I'll rewind and try to listen again, miles away from the subject. I don't feel any kind of stress or anxiety. Just poof, suddenly not hearing um, these, I guess, uncomfortable words. So circling back, how do I get in touch with my emotions when I can't even tell that I'm being so majorly triggered? Okay, so where you start is being a detective. We're going to be curious, not judgmental, about what these triggers are. Now, yes, I know doing this work in and of itself can be triggering, I apologize. I wish there was a sneakier way to get into it. But even with the help of a therapist, it's still hard because we're going to have to pay attention. Like, okay, it's great that it's actually my podcast. Also, I'm sorry that I'm triggering you. Um, I do my best to change words and to get numbered, get rid of numbers and things like that. But, you know, it's never, never perfect. So when you have a particular episode that poof sends you away, Are we able to note the time code of when we realize and try to rewind back? Okay, that gives us an idea of something in there, right? Maybe it's at the 10 minute mark, maybe it's at the 20 minute mark. Okay, that cuts out the end, the last like 30, 40, 50 minutes, right? We can look into those again. And if we can, you know, I know it sounds bad to like trigger yourself. What's happening here is dissociation. You're just... Your brain is like, this is too much. It's going to pull out because you've suffered childhood sexual abuse. I have a feeling it's something like that, but it's also emotional neglect and other abusive behaviors for flavor, as you said. Um, So it could be a lot of different triggers. We need to pay attention to that. And I know, again, I hate that we have to like trigger ourselves to figure this out. But while we're being curious, not judgmental, we're going to have to start tracking back until we can figure out it's this topic or it's that scenario, or it's this word that Katie used. I can't it's going to take some exploration to figure it out because there's so much first of all that we go through in this podcast and so much we talk about but also because there there was so much that you went through as a child there's a lot to unpack and we're not sure what is causing it it could also help in the detective format to consider Other times this happened, not just listening to my podcast, but in life, are we able to track back that maybe more easily? Like, oh, I talked to this person or, oh, this was on the news and that happened. You know, Can we pick that out? Can we figure it out at least a little bit? And then we get to test our hypothesis. And I know again, it sucks, but we aren't going to know if we don't look into it and if we don't get curious, not judgmental about it. And so that's really where I would start. Sure, we can get into uh, grounding techniques and other ways to deal with the disconnection you feel, but I don't, I mean, that could help potentially, but we don't even know what's causing it right now. So it's like, when do we do those things? I don't know. I don't I can't even feel it coming on, right? You're like, poof, there's no indicator. And so I want you to figure out what those triggering situations are. And then if you're able, how's it feel in your body I don't know if you'd be able to do that but you know we can try to figure out like what's the buildup before poof because there is a buildup we just aren't aware um yeah but first first things first let's do some research let's be a detective about our own experience and figure out what these triggering events are okay I hope that helps moving on to our final question question number nine says, Katie, why does CBT feel like gaslighting? What a great question. It seems like it's telling us that our feelings and emotions aren't correct or proportional to the situation. Sometimes this is true, but not always. Is CBT appropriate to use on someone who is rationally and justifiably upset about something? Yes, we'll get into this. Is it wrong to want my therapist to honor my emotions as valid and not needing to change? And can there be a better approach for these scenarios? It's so interesting. I honestly had never thought about it this way until I read this question. But I can see where you're coming from. And for people who don't understand what, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT is, essentially what it has us do is track our thoughts and we're looking for overreactions. Again, not a judgmental term, just a fact. It's a red flag kind of tells. We're looking for overreactions and we're looking for ways that we feel... Think, feel, and behave in our life that aren't serving us anymore. And I don't do CBT in a like pure manner. I pick and choose. Like you guys have heard me mention a ton of CBT tools because I do find it really effective. But I can see what this person means because as you track your feelings and stuff, you're supposed to acknowledge when some aren't correct or aren't proportional to the situation, the overreaction, supposed to acknowledge those and recognize them so that we can figure out essentially what's. What, what are like the the beliefs or the thoughts behind them? Does that make sense? I hope so. Anyways, it can feel like gaslighting because then the emotions that you're experiencing or this overreaction that you've given is kind of undermined or you're like told like it's not correct. And I have to reframe it. The therapist in me wants to reframe it because that's not really the goal, at least in my mind, that's not the goal of, of CBT. The goal is to use that as helpful information To dig into kind of like why we're having that. Does that make sense? And that might be because I don't use CBT purely. But when we have these overreactions, we have these disproportionate kind of emotions. That helps me identify a trigger for you. But in CBT, they might want to challenge that faulty thought or that faulty belief or whatever. And so I would let your therapist know that you're feeling this way because the one thing I do want everybody to know is that it's very rare. Well, I shouldn't say rare. It's not as common for therapists to do just one type of therapy and only that type of therapy, and they aren't willing to wiggle with you and figure out how to make it work with you, like not against you, work together, right? And if you feel some of these techniques and tools in CBT, it's like gaslighting, it feels like abusive, and you're like, oh, and then I feel like I don't have a right to feel the way I feel and how I'm reacting isn't appropriate and we have all these judgments right you might feel that all the time and you're like but I'm rationally and justifiably upset and I need you to say that that's okay I, I just I can't see a therapist not getting on board with that and so I would let them know now if things don't change right? we Say we bring it up. If You know, CBT for me, I know you're doing all these things and, and some of it's been helpful, but a lot of it feels like gaslighting. And give an example. When I was talking about feeling this way, you know, you told me that that seemed a little disproportionate to what happened or it felt like, you know, and I took that as I didn't have a right to feel upset. I don't know. You'd have to give an example that happened. Say when that happens and you respond like that, it feels like gaslighting and it, it's really hard for me to want to engage anymore. I find myself shutting down and so instead I'm hoping that we can I can at least get some validation for what I've gone through. Okay we can ask for that. Now let's say we ask and it keeps feeling shitty. There's nothing to say we have to stay with that type of therapist or therapy. I know I don't know why I mean I guess I I logically know why CBT just FYI is used by a lot of therapists because it's one of the only therapies that can be what's the word? It's like statistically proven that it works as if that even matters. But it does for some people and they need like research. Like in the hospital system that I worked in, we had to do CBT stuff because it was the only approved methodology, right? I felt the same way. I was like, this is fucking stupid. But that's why a lot of people use it. And it's like this gold standard, even though it doesn't work for everybody. Everybody's different. Not all of us want to dig into our thoughts and track them and which ones are true or not true or what feelings are we having as a result you know sometimes it's just not that's not it for us maybe we need more somatic where we're moving our body and considering what that feels like maybe we need more schema or internal family systems or you know there's so many types of therapy ask for what you need because that's good practice in life in general tell them that this is what it feels like for you Right, right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And then see if it changes. And this is what we'll asked, you know, I need you to, could we try something different? ask for it. If they can't give it to you, then we need to find someone else. And I know that sucks. And it's not wrong to want your therapist to honor your emotions. I think that's, that's where I feel like they must be like a pure CBT person because it's just very, it just feels untherapeutic to me. And I think because I've never done CBT pure with like, like that's all I do. I'm probably missing something here, you know, Um, because I always honor my my patient's emotions and experiences I want to validate because they've been minimizing and invalidating themselves forever right so I want to be there to say I hear you I see you it's okay to feel how you feel and I I spend most of my time as a therapist doing that helping them feel okay with that and acknowledging and accepting what they're going through I mean this just feels untherapeutic to me and so It's possible CBT is just not a good fit for you and that's okay. That's why there's so many others. Um, But it's also possible that, you know, maybe your therapist just doesn't realize how this is coming across. That's why we'll give them another opportunity and then we might want to look for someone else. I hope you're okay doing that if that's possible, you know, if that we get to that point. Because we have to find not just the therapist that we like, but the treatment style that we like, you know. It'd be like if we go to the doctor for, I don't know, Uh, pneumonia and the way that they want to treat us is like through having us I don't even know that's probably not a very good analogy I guess because I was gonna say like they're doing this weird treatment that's like oh they could do like a homeopathic treatment we're like no I don't want that I want the other and they're like well I only do homeopathic and the fact that even want that just seems wrong you know and you're like no but I'm paying for your I want I need the help that is going to work for me you know you have a right to say, I don't want this treatment. I want this other treatment. Um, and that's why, again, there's so many options. Okay. I hope that helped. I know it's tricky. Um, it's also interesting for me to read that some of you think, because there was a comment too, that someone else agreed, like CBT can feel like gaslighting. And I hadn't thought about it like that. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. It's something that I'll always be acutely aware of. But again, like I said, I don't do CBT like just that, I I like blend in some of the tools and techniques to assist my patients. So that might be why I wasn't aware of this. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you for sharing this podcast and for telling people about it. Again, if you want your question answered in a different format, I have live streams every month over on my Patreon page where I do just that. Go to patreon.com forward slash Katie Morton. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week and I will see you next time. Bye.